you you will see more and more focus uh, from regulators and also from investors. Uh, but at the same time, it means that that everybody wants it in a specific way because it's so important now. In the past, it was voluntary. Uh, it was a nice to have putting a CSR report out there. But today, whatever you're publicly putting out there is a critical piece of information. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Clean Tech is the Podcast. I'm your host, Silas Maynard, and I'm glad to be with you today. Thank you so much for being with me as well. Today, this is we are bringing to you episode number 48 of the podcast. And today in, in this episode, we are this is the final part of our three-part series on ESG. Uh, so really appreciate you joining us on this journey as we discussed ESG over the past couple of weeks. Today's episode, we are joined by Fulia Kokak-Jin, who is the SVP of ESG at Nareed. And we are kind of discussing the intersection of ESG and real estate broadly is what I would say. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with what NAREED is, it is the National Association of Real Estate Investment Trusts. And I guess it's hard to really summarize, but generally speaking, it's a very, very massive place of influence on the real estate market. So suffice to say, Fulia has really been doing highly impactful work uh, through through what she's doing at NAREED. And um, you know, as always, we had a lot of different things we discussed in the podcast today, but some of those include how ESG plays a role in the real estate space. Uh, specifically, we went into what is a REIT, for those unfamiliar. And then we also discussed the effects of ESG and on design, uh, or if there are any you know, adverse effects. Uh, we discussed the standard objections people have to collecting ESG and reporting ESG data. And then, of course, we would talk about, generally speaking, what does the process look like for ESG reporting for real estate owners? And a whole lot of other things. So really great conversation in general. I'm really excited to be able to share this with you. It's such an honor to speak with her. Uh, so again, before we get into the show, we always want to make make mention and thanks to our sponsors, NextWave Partners. NextWave are experts in talent acquisition, recruitment, and retention across the climate tech, renewables, ESG, and technology spaces globally. So if you your team is growing and you're looking to hire more people or perhaps you are looking to make a career change, please do consider reaching out to NextWave. You can reach them at next-wavepartners.com or reach out to one of their consultants directly via their LinkedIn page. And again, NextWave, really great depth of knowledge in their consultants, of course, working across the climate tech space uh, inside of real estate as well. So consider reaching out to them today. And without any further delay, let's get into the show. All right. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really excited for this conversation. I've been uh, looking forward to this for a while now. So uh, I guess, do you want to just give us a quick introduction to yourself and kind of what you are doing today? Sure. I'm Fulia Kochak. I'm um, a senior vice president of ESG issues at NAREIT. Uh, NAREIT is a trade association representing publicly listed real estate companies and uh, real estate investment trusts. I also, um, I'm an author, I'm a, an instructor around ESG and sustainability topics. And um, yes, that's me. I've been in sustainability for 20 years now. I started in the green building side um, and eventually I migrated into real estate. So I, I know the side of design, construction and engineering, and I, I know the side of real estate um, as far as sustainability and ESG is concerned. Mm-hmm. Could you, I guess, I'd be really keen to understand, maybe it sounds like there was kind of two, two impetuses, right? Initially, 
you started into the kind of the the green building space from maybe a design perspective. Mm-hmm. What was your what was the impetus to get into that, and then what eventually led you to kind of dig deeper into ESG specifically? I um, always say this: it's it's. I used to think that it was coincidence, but I was at the right place at the right time, learning about the right things. So when I was in graduate school at Penn State. Um, U.S. Green Building Council was piloting these workshops for something called LEAD, (laughs) uh, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. So that was the first time I was introduced to green buildings at Penn State. Um, And right after that, I took the LEAD exam and became one of the first LEAD APs in the world. So at the time, no one knew about LEAD um, and I was learning about it. I was getting excited. And when I was looking for a job, I chose a company that really cared for sustainability Um, And I joined as a construction manager, but soon um, I did things voluntarily, helped um, project teams with sustainability since I was one of the um, two lead credentialed professionals at the time, one of which was the director of sustainability. I was assigned to the largest uh, lead certified project at the time. So that was my introduction um, to green buildings and lead because I learned about it before anyone else did. I feel the same for ESG after many years in construction, um, helping construction companies and building their sustainability programs from scratch. I did it twice. Um, I was asked to join NARI to start an ESG program for the real estate investment trust industry, REIT industry. So again, ESG was not a very well-known concept at the time. Uh, We were trying to define it for the whole industry And it was more of a nice to have, not as it is today. And again, I was at the right place uh, at the right time doing the right thing, ESG. So that's uh, that's my story of getting involved initially with green buildings on uh, design and construction side. And then uh, later on doing that for the whole industry around ESG. Mm. And could you maybe talk about, I guess there's a lot of things that we could go into from here, but I'd be keen if you could talk a little bit about some of the writings that you've put out, some of the thought pieces on this. I could just go through some of those because I think there's a lot of interesting things we could dig into from there. Sure. Um, The first book I published was uh, for the U.S. Green Building Council. Since I became a lead AP, I was teaching um, lead concepts and helping other professionals um, with their credentials, uh, exam preparation presentations and lead presentations. Eventually, I was asked to author um, the book for exam preparation. So that was my first um, published book. And then I also decided that a lot of people were asking me about my career and how I got to where I was. So I decided that I can write my story into this sustainability leadership book. And I I wrote the, the sustainability leader in you. And the whole idea behind that book is that you don't have to have the title. You don't have to have that kind of a job, but you can be a sustainability leader regardless of where you are and what you're doing. So I I gave examples from my career, but also inspiration and encouragement of doing that. Um, Since I started as as a lead credentialed person that volunteered and created tools for the company without having the title initially. So um, those were the two published pieces. But then I thought to myself um, that online learning is becoming a, a... more feasible way for professionals, especially busy professionals to learn. So um, I I, um, connected with LinkedIn Learning and I became the first instructor to speak about green buildings and lead. 
Uh, right now, I have five courses on LinkedIn Learning with um, tens of thousands of learning learners around the world. I just completed my Green Jobs for Sustainable Careers um, course, and now I'm starting Introduction to ESG. So my hope is that whatever I learn and, and any perspectives I gain, um, any way I can share that with as many professionals as possible, that, that's a big uh, part of who I am. I always add education to my job description, regardless of what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important, obviously, if you've been one of the first people in the space in, in these, in two instances, at least you have a kind of a responsibility to, to pass it along and to, to keep growing it. Um, could you perhaps speak to like, let, before we get into too deep, could you just kind of explain for anybody not familiar, could you explain what a REIT is? A REIT uh, is a real estate investment trust. It's a publicly company, publicly traded real estate company. Um, and it's the tax structure that makes a REIT REIT um, because 90% of the earnings are distributed back to stakeholders. So it, it's really a tax structure um, that that REIT has to pass the test to be called a REIT. Mm-hmm. But they and are publicly traded and, and publicly listed companies. Mm-hmm. And so I guess from a ESG perspective, what are the kind of key aspects of ESG for real estate owners or for REITs specifically? Uh, I guess we've talked, you know, on previous shows of the episode kind of, or previous episodes of the show about ESG in general, but we've never talked specifically about how it affects real estate. Sure. Um, the, The way ESG started within real estate was with the E. And with the E, it was the energy side, energy efficiency initially, and of course, green buildings. Uh, later on in time, the, the E component also grew into other aspects of E, climate change being on top of it right now. And we've seen a, a big evolution in the last couple of years in the area of S. Um, the way it's it's seen in the real estate industry is I see it as, as two, two components. One is doing it, implementing ESG strategies, and two is disclosing on it. So um, there may be companies that are public that, that are doing a great job with ESG, but they may not be disclosing. But a public company, as you know, is a very transparent um, corporation. So we see more disclosures uh, from REITs because they, they are public public companies. Their stakeholders care for these disclosures. And actually, investors, of course, make decisions um, based on these disclosures. ESG is a part of these disclosures. So when you ask for real estate in general, for real estate, um, E covers today the climate, uh, energy, just not only from an efficiency perspective, but also renewables. It, it covers, um, now biodiversity is a huge part of it that's growing. Um, any resource efficiencies and green buildings, that's the E component. Um, again, climate change is on top as, as a very urgent issue. On the S side, you can define it again for the whole real estate or any corporation actually, S is quite equal for many, um, human capital, any people um, that you touch. So the community engagement, that philanthropy probably, most people know it as philanthropy, but community engagement is a little um, more extensive than just um, writing a check or volunteering time. And for a real estate company, the unique part is the tenants, because tenants are, are a very important part of the people that a real estate company touches. So on the S side, um, that, that includes diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, engagement with tenants and, and community. Uh, it includes human capital re- related. It could be health and safety, health and wellness, 
um, recruitment, turnover, and of course, um, safety is a huge part of any organization, but on the, on the real estate side, actually it touches more to the construction aspect. If a real estate company has a huge focus on development and you will see more of the safety issues as well. On the G side, um, more for REITs, I think, it's that the accountability, transparency, the ethics side. So you'll see a bunch of governance policies. It could be from bribery and corruption policies to whistleblower uh, policies. Again, most of this applies to any company. When, when it comes to S&G, I think it's a little more uniform among different industries other than the tenant engagement piece, uh, but E is very unique to re real estate. And on the governance side, we see now more of the ESG governance. Um, I like calling it big G and the little g. Um, there's a traditional governance that's um, how a company is run and accountability. And then there's a little g that's governance of the ESG uh, aspects. And that is uh, making commitments, board level commitments. Uh, now we hear more and more companies tying the uh, executive compensation to ESG performance, um, setting goals tied into more globally accepted frameworks. So that's the, the examples of little g where what is done within the ESG umbrella is governed um, at that top level. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That's very helpful, I think, as a general overview. Um, I think it'd be, I'd be keen to understand, maybe from, especially probably from the E perspective, given that you had kind of an, a background in the design and the, that side of buildings, do you ever notice any compromises that have to be made when it comes to kind of the, the intersection of designing something really well to be efficient, but still to be beautiful and to be like a great design, but in a way that will it will kind of work well and, and be environmentally friendly, for example? That uh, I remember I used to get this kind of question in the past that uh, I think there was a misunderstanding a green building is not as, as, is not necessarily aesthetically pleasing or is more expensive. But a green building, I think when you walk, walk into one, um, first of all, you'll see more daylight. So that makes things so much more appreciated and, and appealing. Um, it will have better views because that's a part of a green building. So it's not just about efficiency, but a green building is a very holistic concept where um, it's about daylight, it's about views, it's about efficiencies, it's about better indoor air quality, it's about better um, better quality within the building and outside of the building where the site is designed accordingly. It's good for stormwater management, but the rain gardens are also quite um, attractive. So you can have a very good looking and very well performing green building inside of which people are happier and healthier. So um, there is no compromise that way. It's just, it's a design aspect that it can be holistically integrated in a building. Uh, and, and nowadays we've been doing green buildings for such a long time that it's just a given. I think even with the, uh, if you're just building, when you buy the, the equipment today, it comes efficient. <laughs> within It is inherently efficient today. The codes are more based on efficiency. So most times, even the traditional buildings that are built have a lot of the green building components because many of the jurisdictions already integrated these aspects of a building in the, in the coding system. Mm -hmm. And what have you seen then in terms of challenges or objections in the space with, with when, it, when it comes to, you know, whether it's ESG, implementing an ESG tracking program 
or reporting? Like what, what are the key objections that you typically would run into or, or see from people? I wouldn't call it objections, but I think the challenges, um, I can talk a little bit about the different challenges. Um, ESG is evolving at a very fast pace. So the, the biggest challenge is even its definition keeps changing year over year. So um, it requires a lot of resources and a full-time staff dedicated to ESG so that that person stays on top of the latest developments, what's going on, um, all these different ESG frameworks. It's like an alphabet soup. So much is going on that it's it's hard to keep on top of these changes that are happening very quickly. I think that's the, the number one challenge that ESG is not set in stone. It keeps evolving. The demands around it is evolving. And I think um, the more companies are maturing, the, the more demand is increasing. So there is no catching up to it. That's how it feels at least right now. So that, that's the first challenge. Um, the second one is I keep hearing the, the, the burden of disclosures. I mean, disclosures are important. I'm not saying that we should not disclose as an industry. Yet, I know many teams, ESG teams, that half of their time or sometimes more goes to disclosures rather than doing what is needed to be done so that the company is advanced in ESG performance. So uh, it is time consuming, but I think it'll get better uh, in time when, when things are a little more consistent and companies don't have to fill out so many surveys. They are asked to do so many different ESG reporting uh, frameworks. It's just, it's a bit, there's a lot of noise and confusion still in the market around ESG. Mm-hmm. So do, do you think that it will get to a point in the future where it's kind of like more standardized or is it going to be very difficult depending on the real estate asset class? I think there will be, there are some common threads for, I think, all real estate companies. When you think about it, for example, climate change applies to all. But for a data center sector versus a storage sector versus a an office sector, they will have differences for other aspects of ESG. As long as it's recognized that there are commonalities that we can have a streamlined approach, companies should also have the freedom to customize their strategies based on their operations and what's meaningful for their operations and for their stakeholders. So as long as there is consistency while the flexibility is given for companies to have their custom strategy, again, based on what they're about, um, that, that, should, that should be solving, solved in time, but I don't see it happening really soon. So it's uh, in, in the first few years, when I started six years ago, it was more like, okay, are you disclosing this? Check. Are you disclosing that? Check. That that was how it was. But now it's it's very much about specific metrics and how performance is calculated based on those metrics. And right now there is no full agreement that every investor is taking all these numbers and data and they are putting it into their own <laughs> black box and coming up with their own way of identifying which company performs better than the other. Mm. They also identify risks and opportunities, but it's not apples to apples right now. And that is hard for companies to focus on the right thing because they get they hear from different investors about different things. So um, I think it, it, it'll, it'll be a while, but I have hope. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think I, I, I'm sure it'll work out to some extent. Things always get more efficient and the market kind of tends to work itself out in a certain way. I'm, I'm obviously very keen to see how that ends up shaping out. Um, I guess I'd be keen. It's kind of uh, in, in, in line here to understand um, what are the cur- some of the current regulatory landscapes for ESG as it relates to real estate and what are some of the upcoming potential uh, regulations in the space? And this can be, again, not just specifically for the U.S. and North America, but for other places that you're aware of kind of their their uh, situations. Sure. Um, I, I guess you, you can start with the local uh, local jurisdictions and cities. We see more and more of, of these uh, local efforts around climate change, resilience, and energy benchmarking and performance. So um, that has been happening for a while now, but it increased and it's it's going towards not just taking one aspect, which was in the past energy or green building certifications, but I see that going more towards climate risk and resilience, um, and of course, more disclosures. So that's the local aspects in the US where increasing number of cities are, are looking at those as important. Um, not just at the company level, but also overall at, at that city level. Then um, in the U.S., as you're aware, SEC um, climate change ruling that they are expecting comments. It was extended today, so it'll be later in Ju- June. Um, that is also looking at bringing that consistency to climate change-based reporting. Um, and, we, of course, we'll know more once the, the process runs its um its timeline. Then there is the global um, aspect of EU. Uh, as you know, your European Union, Europe has always been ahead in the, the regulatory work around ESG. Uh, there is this thing called EU taxonomy, and it's just um, defining what ESG means and what sustainable investments mean. And that affects um, any company, not only in Europe, but any company that has European investors. Because the European investors, they also have to follow the same taxonomy. Um, there are other regulations that are specific to European comp- uh, countries um, and also reporting standards around ESG. Um, there are also things such as the green bond framework. Uh, every time I think that I got it all covered, something new is coming up as being standardized or regulated. Uh, and, and my biggest, I guess, concern is when you have the, the European regulations, US regulations, and all these other regions with their own regulations, if you have a global company, how could that company address all of these regulations um, and report in a way that is in compliance globally? Uh, that, again, adds more to the burden of reporting and making it, uh, maybe they need to report three different ways if they have three different uh locations or, or regions that are asking for three different ways of reporting. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I would assume that there'll be perhaps at some point kind of maybe a consolidation because in, in the long run, these these things should all be science-based and they should be very similar, right? Is that is that accurate that there's a lot of similarities there? There are some similarities, yes. I, mean, I think that there are some respected frameworks such as uh, greenhouse gas protocol that is usually referred in in some of these documents, um, but but again, I just don't want to say yes for sure. It, everything is moving right now. Everything is moving in the world around ESG, both regulation and, and corporate efforts. So mm-hmm. 
we're at a place where it's no longer an interest, but a, a very core aspect of businesses. And it's no longer a um, nice to have add-on, but it's in the core of financial performance. At least that's how it's seen because of the risk factors. So you, you'll see more and more focus uh, from regulators and also from investors. Uh, but at the same time, it means that, that everybody wants it in a specific way because it's so important now. In the past, it was voluntary. Uh, it was a nice to have putting a CSR report out there. But today, whatever you're publicly putting out there is a critical piece of information. Mm-hmm. What well, what has been the primary force driving the change? Has it been individuals? Has it been the corporations themselves? Has it been government? Like what what has actually driven this change towards m- more widely accepted that you know real estate companies are especially REITs are reporting this data? Um, I can speak to the reason. I can just tell you about my speculations uh, because the the biggest momentum has been during um, the quarantine time in the last two years. And I think that was a good wake up call to show a crisis, a risk that can have such a big impact in the world. And that was eye opening and a wake up call that ESG risks are quite material financially because that 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 is the same thing it, it was an s risk and of course we also had um quite a bit of of a painful experience with social unrest as well at the same time so i think that was eye opening um for all for all of us individually as corporations as investors that all these risks such as climate risk health risk they are all important and they should be considered uh, but then data is is critically important, yet if it's not apples to apples, it's hard for anyone to measure and um, compare. So my my guess is that the last two years and what we've been through really was an important wake-up call to show that ESG, what falls under ESG, the environmental um, issues, the social risks, they can all affect the whole world, not a single corporation, all at once. Mm. Um, and in addition to that, I think the investors are becoming more educated. Uh, they, they now have a better way of understanding uh, how ESG can affect performance. We see more disclosures from corporations because they can, they can want all they want, but if the corporations aren't disclosing, they can't just take this data and, and make sense of it. So I think a lot of things are moving in the right direction. Investors are asking for it. Companies are disclosing on it. And the risks are on top of the priority list when it comes to ESG. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Um, I'd be keen to move next into how is ESG reporting done today? You know, kind of what does the process look like typically? How much is automated? How much is manual? And maybe, you know, as along with that, what do you see? How do you see that changing and, and going forward in the future? Do you see it adjusting? Like what are your, what are you anticipating there? Um, ESG reporting, I can speak to it based on my experience in the REIT world. Um, there are, so, so at the basic level, the smaller companies may still be using their website for disclosing on ESG. So you can see this information on a sustainability page. Um, they can even have metrics listed there. So that's the most basic way of disclosing on ESG, just putting it on a web page. Um, then if they want to take it to the next level, they can have their standalone CSR report, corporate sustainability report, 
that typically follows um, GRI, the uh, global, okay, now I'm just blanked, completely <laughs> blanking out. Global Reporting Initiative, I believe. <laughs> yes, Global Reporting Initiative, GRI. Um, and if they choose to do that, they do a materiality assessment and identify what's material. I'm not talking about financial materiality. What's material for the organization under ES and the G? And they identify a number of key issues, and that's what they report on in their CSR. Now, this is changing uh, because more and more companies are now tying TCFD and SASV into their CSR. So what we used to see was a GRI matrix at the end of the CSR report that would just say, hey, page X for um, energy, such and such. Now we see the same metrics for TCFD, and I see more and more of SASB being referred to in the CSR report. So the nice to have CSR report that was um, a voluntary piece of document that that mostly aligned with GRI. Now we see a lot of these investor requested ESG frameworks, mostly on the climate side, being referred to in the CSR documents. In addition to that, companies may choose to have other third-party uh, reporting guidance documents or actual scoring documents. So for example, Gresby is a real estate-based um, ESG framework that scores companies based on their ESG performance. That is very much real estate specific and companies can get a score from zero to 100. It also compares them with their peers. Um, you can also have another company that may choose to do CDP for climate disclosures. So there are companies that would just go as basic as websites, putting their information on a web page for sustainability. And there are companies that may have five to six different ESG reporting frameworks that they utilize all at once and report in different ways because their stakeholders are asking a specific framework to be followed. Now, what I expect to change in the next few years is with the SEC ruling on climate change, I think we'll see more, more companies, of course, it'll be compliance requirement that they have to put ESG criteria in their financial documents. So we'll see more of this information in the financial documents um, as a part of the financial reporting. Uh, we, we haven't seen it as much until recently, uh, but I expect to see more of that happening. Mm -hmm. And do are there any specific areas in terms of maybe the, the mechanics of actually going through the reporting structure where you see big rooms for innovation? We need big, big innovations. I, I, I will just say that um, there's rooms for innovation, but at the same time, first, let's cover the, the parts that we have to innovate really quickly. I'd say the climate risk assessments, um, it's still... In, in its early stages and companies typically bring a third party with a software that looks at climate risk assessment. Um, but I, I worry that all these different third parties, we don't know what kind of a um, climate data they, they are using. And um, I have a feeling that, and I've been hearing rumors that depending on the third party that, that, that is being used or in-house tools, climate risk looks different for the same company if they use different third-party providers. So the room for innovation is, I think we just have to have that consistency of those risk assessments that 
um, regardless of which third party you use or which in-house tool you use, the climate risk, um, if an investor is looking at the same company, that climate risk number should be the same as the company using another risk assessment tool. Um, if it varies, that's a problem. It, it, it just, that becomes another issue with this complication. So that's definitely room for innovation that <laughs> causes consistency of the, uh, I guess, black box that are within those climate assessments, climate risk assessments. Mm -hmm. uh, room for improvement, I think climate change has a huge room for improvement on the resilience side. Uh, it's great, identify the risks, but then what do you do about that? I think that's where we'll see a lot of innovation and we need innovation. How, how can you take that risk and turn it into um, an opportunity? And how can you address that risk so that that asset is not under risk anymore? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. I guess that that kind of goes well pretty well into the next idea I wanted to go over, which we didn't, you, you sort of mentioned it in passing, but I'd be keen to maybe hear some more, if you have any more tangible or hard examples of how does ESG reporting make financial sense for a lot of companies, right? Uh, kind of if, if you took out the factor of regulation and all those items, would it make economic sense to report on all this ESG data? And if so, could you give us some examples of where it's really kind of where it really ends up benefiting these, these REITs or these real estate owners? I, um, I used to say this for green buildings for metering, but uh, what you can measure, you can manage. And I think I'll add to that what you can measure, you can manage and um, what you manage, you disclose to share that with stakeholders so that they can make decisions. Uh, with disclosures, I think the important part of disclosures is that you, you can have all of this internally, but being accountable means really putting it out there so that the commitments are there. You show the progress and you're transparent about it. You're accountable for it. Um, th that's how I feel about disclosures. And as far as their financial benefits are concerned, um, if, if a company is on top of their ESG strategy, that means that they, they take that strategy and a part of that strategy is very financial. You can't just do the, the stewardship, that's great. And, and the social aspects, that's great as well. But a public company um, has a responsibility for its shareholders as well. And it's important for the company um, to, to be seen as an investable corporation by investors. So the way I look at ESG disclosures is that all that good work, all the strategy that ties into the financials, um, it, it's not always energy savings and bills. I'm not talking about just that, but it could be about employee well-being and the, the retention rates going up. So once you tie that and you disclose on it, that's the financial value right there. You turn that disclosure into an opportunity and a good advantage for being a good investment. Um, that's how I see it. And, and investors like that because they also look at it as a low risk because when you disclose, it means that you're on top of it. You have a strategy, you're showing your progress. They are aware of what the company is working on and what their progress looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think also, if I remember correctly, I had somebody else on here mentioned that um, oftentimes green buildings and smart buildings can command higher rents as it is too. So mm -hmm. I would assume that that could really play into it. Um, and obviously it, it appears as though the trend is towards 
everybody having to kind of report on the ESG data and, and maybe initially, if you're one of the early early adopters to creating a more clean building, you can charge higher rents and have kind of a, a competitive advantage initially. And with that, maybe averaging out over time as more investors get in, but maybe, you know, it's probably worth worth the investment up front to be, to be a leader <laughs> and rather than just uh, charging less than everybody else in the future. So um, I'd like to move on to one of my favorite parts, and it sounds like it's something of interest to you too, based on the earlier comments, which is kind of just education generally in the end, how it relates to ESG and whether that be helping, you know, people throughout high school, their high school years, their university to understand what is ESG, how do we all have an impact on, uh, on these various factors in our lives and, and what we do, where we purchase from, uh, and whether or not the universities are helping kind of feed talent into these areas. So could you kind of give us your general thoughts on kind of the the intersection of ESG and sustainability with the education space? Sure. Um, I first want to differentiate ESG from sustainability because although they may sound similar, they are not the same. Um, ESG is is a term used by the investment community and it became a huge um, concept nowadays we hear more and more of it so sustainability is is i think when you look at sustainability it doesn't necessarily this it is not the same thing as the esg aspects and um, for example i i see sustainability being thought at, at an elementary school level or high school uh, but esg is more on on the business education side that's that's my personal thinking so if I were to create this educational program, I teach um, social responsibility, sustainability earlier on. And then when you're looking at the college level, all business majors, I think they need to learn sustainability and ESG. And um, MBAs, at, like, I remember a couple of years ago checking the curriculum for MBAs and they didn't have anything ESG within their curriculum, which was surprising. But now I see more and more MBA programs, including actually that are MBA programs around ESG. Uh, so the education, I'll just separate sustainability education from ESG education. ESG education more on the business side and investment sides um, and corporate side and sustainability education more let, just letting our children grow up with that understanding of social responsibility, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and sustainability being good environmental stewards and protecting um, the planet. On the, on the side of ESG, the education is quite interesting um, because the biggest opportunity is top to bottom and bottom to top education. We keep hearing board education. Now we're talking about board education on ESG. We're, we're also hearing that everyone coming up the ladder also they want to understand ESG and make it a part of their role because in a, in a business as an employee, you want to provide the most value for your organization while doing the right thing with the environment and while being a good social citizen, um, good for the society. So um, the education has incredible potential on the business side, top to bottom and bottom to, to up. Uh, and at the same time, I also think that there's a huge gap with green, green job jobs and talent for green jobs. Um, again, in addition to ESG, now I'm going to go into that are very specialized areas of the uh, 
um, E right now and some of the S that need a lot of training. It could be renewables, it could be energy related um, jobs, uh, it could be accountants with that financial ESG reporting skill sets. So there is also a very specialized need under E topics and S topics that we need to um, focus on right now because we aren't missing a huge opportunity of training our employees in those areas, very specialized areas. I don't think we have enough professionals in the HR side, for example, with the DEI training and specialization. So again, there's a big picture sustainability for our children. There is the business side with ESG on the investment and corporate performance side. And then there is also the very specialized green skill set under various topics of ENS that we need to cover as far as education is concerned. Um, was that helpful or do you want to, the education is very near and dear to my heart, so I can talk about it for a long time. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's quite interesting. And I, it's very interesting to hear your perspective on it. I am always curious in terms of um, helping people find their, their path, right? Because I, I have a little bit of a, uh, a bone to pick with the education system that it, it really forces people to try to pick something without having experienced anything. Right. And you're depending on who your parents were and depending on how you were raised, you, you might have a very limited kind of view of what types of jobs there are. Right. And this is something that I, I know there are programs that do something like this. I just heard about one in, I don't remember which, I think it was university of Waterloo, in Canada has a kind of working program where people work throughout the, throughout their university to get experience that they can then continue specializing. But um, no, I think that's very interesting. And I am also very fascinated to see how we fill the jobs because I agree with you, obviously as being a talent person during, during the day, there are a shortage of people to fill these jobs. Right. And I think that to some extent we can't necessarily sit around waiting for everybody to have these four-year degrees to get into these jobs, some of them are relatively simple and what obviously very well paying, right? Maybe some some boot camps or some types of kind of um, training can get people into these jobs. And then I think personally, and maybe have some thoughts on this, I do believe that there's a there's a brighter future where companies, in order to maintain retention of talent and make sure that they are um, being responsible for their employees, that they would continue to help them gain further education, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe they start out with only six months of some, some sort of specific education. And then from there, once they learn the ropes and they can further get into specialization and stay with the company for a long term, I do believe that that will happen naturally, but I'd be keen if there's, um, you know, some companies trying to force the issue. And I, I don't, do you have any thoughts on that and kind of like the employer's role in helping people, you know, continue their education? Actually, I hear more and more um, corporations bringing in instructors on, ENS topics. Um, I do know that our members are are very focused on DEI education. Um, it's it's not all only specialized education, but most of us have unconscious bias. So being aware, I think the education it's happening slowly but surely. It's definitely not there. Um, more can be done, but I know that right now there is great interest in bringing in instructors to help them create these educational programs for their organizations at every level of organization. Uh, But there's so much more to be done. And I do like your idea of boot camps, but at the same time, some of this education takes years. And what I do and what I hope that other sustainability leaders listening here um, today, we just have to educate people 
around us. I go into a meeting, it could be an hour meeting, but I had I have to educate them on something and I hope to learn something from them. So I take it upon myself. I don't have to be named the instructor. It doesn't have to be an education session, uh, but I do my best to share that information that is relevant to them so that they can learn even in that one hour meeting. Um, within our organization, not everyone has an ESG title. I'm the head of ESG, but at the same time, cross-departmentally, now everyone speaks the ESG language. Mm. It took many years, though. It's not a boot camp. So we, we all have a responsibility to spread the message and teach. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective, though, that that, that shift has to happen where people understand that it's not, you know, you're, you have your four years or six years or whatever of education, then you're you're set, right? It's going to always be people have to constantly learn from people left, right, above and below them, right, in terms of the organization structure. And that can create much better teams, much better companies, right? I think that you, you look at some of the, um, the missteps that have, been ha- that have happened in, you know, the past 10 years with, you know, major companies and, you know, made big news. And now, now we have all these sitcoms about them and these um, documentaries is if people would kind of learn from each other and not, not think that, oh, this person must have it figured out because they're the CEO or whatever, Right. Though that type of mentality, I think, is really important to a successful business and obviously sustainable business in general, too. So uh, but very good. I think. Uh, do you have any other final thoughts or anything else you want to kind of leave leave us with? Um, I, I'm just personally, I'm very excited about the potential. I, I love when people ask questions around sustainability and ESG. Um, the more we ask, the more we want to learn the more likely we'll get to those solutions. Uh, and this is a great time to not only learn, but be a part of the solution, be creative, think outside the box. And having those diverse ideas and thoughts, um, it's a great time for those. So I truly hope that if you're listening to us today, just start thinking about ways that you can help, ways that you can solve a piece of this, this problem or find us that piece of the puzzle that is missing. Uh, because it's a time where everyone wants to hear you. Everyone wants to understand the solutions. Um, I think we are more open to this now. It, it used to be, I had to beg people to listen to me in the past <laughs> 20 years ago, but now everybody is interested and excited. So this is a good time to learn, to share, and to bring up these ideas out there. Just um, let's be excited together. I think that's the only way we'll, we'll get to that solution. Yeah, it's definitely everybody has to be involved. So I really, really appreciate you coming out, Fulia. Um, definitely going to have to have you on again and see continue see what you continue to do. Did you want to mention again your your books and anywhere people can reach and kind of follow sure. your things? Um, actually, I want to mention the course that's coming up, LinkedIn Learning. Uh, it will be published later in July. It's Green Jobs for Sustainable Careers. And I talk about how to strategize to gain Um, these green skills and just make a decision on how to educate yourself. Um, So that course is coming up uh, and I hope that you can just check it out once it's out. Absolutely. That'll be very exciting for many people. I'm I'm, I'm very sure. So thank you again so much for coming on today and uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us on today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed the conversation with Fulia. Uh, if, of course, if you'd like to hear more about, you know, more of these conversations, more things kind of discussing the climate and the issue space generally, please do subscribe and turn on notifications uh, to be to be made aware of things upcoming in the future. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we ask please for a review and a rating. It really helps us to boost our 
uh, exposure across different platforms and to grow and to help spread our message. And of course, if you are looking to sponsor the podcast, we're always open to discussions. You can reach me in the description below. And then please, of course, share this with people who might find it interesting or find the information shared in here valuable for them. Uh, If you are interested, we also have a Slack channel for people to get more involved uh, and speak with other professionals in the climate tech space. And then I definitely recommend reaching out to Fully on LinkedIn to connect with her. Uh, She's got a lot of resources. Obviously, she mentioned her book. I think there's a lot of things that she, you know, her resources that she's created through her time with Nabry could be really, really helpful to a lot of professionals in the space. So definitely consider connecting with her. And then, of course, feel free to reach me on Twitter with any questions you have. And a quick note on our next episode, we will be discussing, uh, we'll be joined by Michael Beckerman, who is the CEO and founder of Cretech and, um, and Cretech Climate. And we will be discussing kind of a similar topic, is, which is that of real estate, but it's going to be looking at real estate from the intersection of real estate and climate tech. So sometimes this would be called prop tech, kind of broadly speaking. It's not necessarily, prop tech doesn't really refer only to climate um, but I like to refer to the specifics of climate would be cl- climate conscious real estate space. And it's a bit clunky, but uh, generally speaking, that's how I refer to it. So generally, really great conversation with Michael. I uh, really appreciate everybody listening to this episode today and tuning in next week or next time. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. And we'll see you next time on Clean Tech East, the podcast. <laughs>